reading through the accounts of the patriarchs in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we've been looking at those families of our forefathers and foremothers in faith, seeing what we can learn from their stories as we live as the family of God. And so I'd like to just jump into the middle of that series with you this morning. We're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 29, and I'd invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Jacob has skipped town after deceiving his father. He stole Isaac's blessing that he intended for Jacob's brother Esau, and so Jacob leaves his brother's anger and goes to the land where his mother and grandfather had come from. And when he gets there, he meets his uncle Laban and Laban's daughters. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 29, verse 14. And I'd invite you as you're able to stand as we open God's word together. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. May God add his blessing to this word. Please be seated. You know, as we've been going through these accounts in Genesis, it's very quickly become clear that there's a lot that we didn't cover on the flannel graphs in Sunday school. You know, to me, that, that speaks to the truth of these stories. Why would you make up such problematic and, let's be honest, embarrassing stories about your own ancestors? 
These are the very people who give legitimacy to your nation. To a large degree, especially in that culture, they define who you are. If you were making up stories, why not make up better ones? For example, here, here today we see that Jacob takes this whole sister wives thing very, very literally. And he discovers why it's a bad idea. In fact, this is one of the many times that the patriarchs violate the laws that God later gives to his people. Leviticus 18.18 says, Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife. A rival wife. And Jacob learns very quickly just what is meant by that. So our lesson today, don't marry more than one person at a time. Amen? Amen. Now receive the benediction. Now, you probably didn't need me to tell you that. But there is a lot that we can learn from this story of this messed up family of Jacob. Very briefly, I would like us to consider this morning what their story shows us about comparison. That we should not compare when we love. Don't compare your gifts. And don't compare your suffering. So first, don't compare when you love. We're told very early on that Jacob was in love with Rachel, but not with Leah. We're not really told exactly why, except for the description that Rachel was beautiful in face and figure, but Leah had some kind of problem with her eyes. Now, of course, we're all just naturally drawn to certain people. We don't have a whole lot of control over who we're attracted to. Those of you who are married or dating know there was something that drew you to that particular person more than anybody else. At least I hope so. But even in our friendships, we'll just find ourselves liking some people more than others. And that's not wrong. But love, the sort of love that God calls us to, isn't just some kind of attraction or feeling. It's a choice, and it's an action. It's choosing to put others before ourselves. It's serving others, regardless of what they can offer to us. And we shouldn't love someone because of how they compare to other people. Their beauty, their wealth, their wisdom or talent, how well they behave, what their political views might be, even, I know this is a big one, what sports team they root for. <laughs> Why? Because God didn't choose us because of how we compare to anybody else. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him.
God doesn't love you because you're more beautiful or more wise or stronger than anybody else. God doesn't love you because you're better than anybody else. A few weeks ago in our Wednesday night class on Galatians, I shared that back in 1980, there was a Swedish psychologist named Ola Svensson. He conducted a study. He asked American college students to rank their driving ability among their peers. The results, 88% ranked themselves above average when it came to driving safely. Now, I'm no statistician, but I know that's not how averages work. But we do the same thing in other areas. We like to think that we can get to heaven by being good enough. And by that we mean better than that guy or those people. Now, when it comes to comparing our virtue to other people's, we probably don't do any better than when we compare our driving to other people's. But an inaccurate comparison isn't the real problem. The problem is that the comparison itself doesn't matter at all. The message of the gospel is that we can't do enough good works. We can't be good enough to get into heaven. God doesn't grade on a curve. We need a restored relationship with God, but we're the ones who walked away and turned our backs on him. Our situation is so desperate that someone needed to die to save us. But he loved you so much that Jesus died to save you. So since God didn't compare you to others in his love for you, don't compare when you show love to others either. And don't compare your gifts. We're told in this account that God shows mercy to Leah by giving her the ability to conceive. But Rachel sees that blessing and she resents her husband and God because she didn't receive the same blessing. Thus begins years of comparison and competition between Leah and Rachel over their children. They see the number of their sons as indicating their worth and getting the affection of Jacob. They're so desperate that they actually further divide Jacob's affections. Each of them gives their servant to Jacob to bear children on their behalf. And most of their sons are actually named to reflect this conflict. As you read through Genesis 30, you see this. Did you ever think about the fact the 12 tribes of Israel are mostly named out of spite? Levi comes from the Hebrew for attached because Leah hoped that he would cause Jacob to be attached to her. Rachel names her servant's son Dan, which means vindicated. Naphtali means my struggle. And even when Rachel has her own son, she names him Joseph, which means may he add. She's already looking for another. We also run into trouble when we compare our gifts from God 
with the gifts he's given to others. Sometimes these are things the world also compares on. Why is he making more money than I am? How is she driving that car? They went where on their vacation? Well, you know, at least I've got my finances in order, and I'm clearly a better parent than they are. You know, we do this within the church when it comes to our spiritual giftings from God as well. Where does she get that insight into the Bible? I'm at least a better singer than the person beside me. Ginger says that most Sundays. I would have planned that event better. Why is their church growing more than ours? You know, at the third Thursday events in Illyria this summer, I had an opportunity to meet some other pastors at churches that were also at the events. I was talking with one who has a church in downtown Illyria, kind of a rough neighborhood, and he was talking with me, asked me, you know, well, how many people do you have coming on a Sunday? That's the first question any pastor asks another pastor. And I said, well, at, at that time, we've got about 30 people coming on a Sunday morning. He said, that's great. That's great. You know, we've been seeing so many people just turning their lives around. We've had drug dealers and we even had, just a few weeks ago, we baptized a former prostitute, and we've just been seeing God adding to our number. We've had 30 or 40 people join our church just this summer. And I looked at him and said, praise God. But it took me a couple minutes to actually mean it. We're all gifted differently. We're all given different roles in ministry. Comparison of those gifts only leads us to pride or despair. Our gifts are given by God to fulfill different roles within his body, within our church, and within the church universal. Each gift is important, and all of them work together so that we can serve one another and glorify God together. So learn from Leah and Rachel this morning. Don't compare your gifts. And then we see from this story the lesson of don't compare your suffering. You know, everybody's got trouble in this story of Jacob's family. Jacob, Jacob is deceived by his uncle just as he deceived his father and brother. And if we're honest, Jacob is left with no really good path forward. We have no indication of whether Leah was supportive of her father's plan, but she winds up married to a man who doesn't love her. We also have no idea what Rachel thought of this whole situation. Most likely, she didn't have any say in the matter. She winds up as Jacob's second and favorite wife, but she's unable to have children for years. The servants have no voice at all in this whole story. They don't even get to name their own sons. The children become pawns of their mother's rivalry, and even Laban eventually loses his daughters, his grandchildren, and most of his wealth 
because of his deception. It's a bad situation all the way around. And I hope that your family doesn't look anything like that. But the truth is, in this world, everybody's got trouble. Each of us has a different trouble. Many of us hide it well, and so we often wind up comparing my inside with somebody else's outside. One of the things about being a pastor is that I wind up seeing a little bit of those troubles that people hide from others. And if I know one thing, it's that I would never want to swap my troubles for anybody else's. We can also compare our suffering with the way that we think things should be, and that can lead us, just like Rachel, to doubt God or even to turn away from him altogether. Sometimes comparing our suffering can lead us to humility. As Pastor Rich was sharing earlier, the experience that they had seeing what many of the people of Malawi live in their day-to-day lives. But I think in general, as we look at this, we can learn that we shouldn't compare our suffering to others. Just like comparing our gifts, that usually just leads us into pride or into despair. But we do need to get a broader view. Paul writes in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When we have eternity in view, the sufferings of this life begin to fade. And that leads us to where I'd like to close this morning. In the middle of this story, at the very end of chapter 29, is one shining moment in the middle of all of the chaos and sin and destruction. Leah gives birth to her fourth son. And for once, she doesn't compare. She doesn't compare her husband's love for her to his love for somebody else. She doesn't compare her blessings to her sisters. She doesn't compare how much she's suffering to how much somebody else is suffering. No, she simply says, now I will praise the Lord. She focuses on God, and she chooses to respond in praise. Tragically, she goes back to her comparisons and her strife in the very next chapter. But we can learn from this moment of grace in her life. Because that son... It's Judah, who became the ancestor to King David and the ancestor to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that our focus should not be on comparing ourselves with others. It should be on Jesus. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus pioneered and perfected faith so we can be set free from comparing our works or his gifts and rest in his grace. Jesus endured unfathomable suffering and shame so we can stop comparing our troubles to other people's. We cannot grow weary or lose heart. And right in the middle there, we're told, Jesus did this all for the joy set before him. My friends, that joy, that's you and me. It was love for you that took him to the cross so that you could be restored to him for all eternity. Not because of how you compare to anybody else, but just because you are you. You know, it's not just Jacob's family that's messed up. We live in a messed up world, and we're messed up people. But let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's use our gifts for his glory. And let's love others without compare. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for these raw and real accounts of our ancestors in faith. Lord, not so that we can look at them and say, well, at least I've got it better than them. But Lord, so that we can learn so that we can learn that you don't want us to compare You don't want us to compare the gifts that you gave us to the gifts of others, but to serve you in the ways that you've enabled us. You don't want us to compare our suffering, but simply to trust in you, to have that view of eternity and the glory that awaits us. Lord, help us not to compare when we love others, not to show preference to the people who are easier to love, but to serve one another and to serve the people outside these walls in your love. Lord, help us in the midst of whatever we're going through today to choose love, to fix our eyes upon you and to give you praise. Now I will praise the Lord. Receive our praise today, Lord. Amen.